Um, thank you, Dr. Eller, for the introduction. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, I, so today I'll be doing a talk on challenges posed by COVID-19 on the antimicrobial stewardship and its role in antimicrobial resistance. So I have no disclosures. Uh, today's objectives are uh, to discuss the challenges that SARS-CoV-2 pandemic has presented to antimicrobial stewardship programs. I would also like to discuss the uh, impact of antimicrobial resistance in the care of COVID-19 patients. Uh, I would also discuss the impact of COVID-19 on antimicrobial resistance in future and also the challenges to antimicrobial re resistance research due to COVID-19 pandemic and what mitigation strategies can be taken. So before I begin, I'll just go a little back into the history. Uh, I'd like to highlight a few important years in the uh, landmark years in the history of antibiotics. So as we know, in 1910, uh, the first antimicrobial drug, Salvarsan, was synthesized that was used to treat syphilis. And then in 1928, Sir Alexander Fleming discovered the penicillin and began investigating its potential antibiotic role. Uh, then we see that in 1941, Ernst Chain and Howard Florey began first clinical trials of penicillin. Uh, 1948, like right uh, just in seven years, we saw that penicillin resistant Staphylococcus became a global pandemic. In 1960, the first strains of MRSA emerged. And then uh, we, we saw a lot of uh, antimicrobial resistant organisms came up. And then in 2015, the World Health Organization launched the first Antibiotic Awareness Week. So as we all know that uh, COVID-19 was declared a uh, pandemic by the World Health Organization on 11th of March 2020. Since the first case that was identified in Wuhan, about 167 million people have acquired the disease and about close to 3.5 million people lost their lives. Antimicrobial resistance gained international attention in 2015 and uh, was named a priority for global public health for 2020. Antimicrobial in resistant infections are thought to have caused about a third of as many deaths as COVID-19 caused in 2020. So why do we need antibiotic stewardship? Obviously antibiotics are a shared resource. Antibiotics are one of the most uh, misused drugs in the hospitals. It's estimated that about 50% of its use is unnecessary or inappropriate. I'd like to highlight this poster by CDC where they say that more than half of the antibiotic prescribing for selected events in hospitals was not consistent with recommended prescribing practices. In about 79% of patients with community-acquired pneumonia and 77% of patients with UTIs, the, the use of antibiotics was actually not supported. And uh, again, like 47% of the patients who received fluoroquinolones and 27% of patients who received vancomycin Again, their use was not, not uh, supported or maybe not necessary. Uh, as we all know that overuse contributes to antibiotic, uh, antibiotic resistance and uh, also causes the C. diff problem, uh, which carries its own mortality and uh, financial impacts. Antibiotics are leading cause of ER visits. They are not a benign agent and uh, they are the uh, antibiotics are responsible for most of the medication related adverse events. Now I'll highlight a few numbers here. Um, it's very scary to see that uh, 14,000 of the patients actually die of C. diff infection just in US. 
and the use of antibiotics is a major contributing factor in about 85% of cases. 23,000 patients die each year in United States as a result of antibiotic resistant infections. And this number is kind of similar to the number that we see in Europe, about where about 25,000 patients die each year from antibiotic resistant infections. Another important number is 11,000 uh, people lose their lives from MRSA infections in just United States. And then um, if you look at our data from 2013, 480,000 people were infected from drug resistant TB strains. Uh, it's estimated by that by 2050, one person could die every three seconds if antimicrobial resistance is not tackled now. So how does uh, the antimicrobial resistance impact our COVID-19 uh, patient care? So patients with COVID-19 actually receive antimicrobial for two main reasons. One is that uh, COVID-19 symptoms resemble bacterial pneumonia. Patients come with complaints of fever, cough, shortness of breath, uh, and it's very much, and even the lab abnormalities are some of them kind of indicating to uh, bacterial pneumonia, like we see elevated CRP, we see elevated procalcitonin, and uh, some of the providers are inclined to the use of antimicrobials in those patients. Second, the, the patients with COVID-19 acquire secondary co-infections, which require antimicrobial treatment. We rely heavily on our local stewardship data. Um, if there is high number of drug resistant in, uh, and microbial infection, then we tend to use empiric antimicrobials that would cover for those drug resistant infections. Say for example, if uh, an area has high carbapenem resistance, there is a tendency to empirically use colistin, which comes with its own adverse effects and, and cost and uh, also promotes antimicrobial resistance. So I like to talk about these two papers. Um, uh, one of the meta-analysis was done by Langford et al. Uh, in this paper, they discussed the prevalence of bacterial co-infection and secondary co-infection, uh, secondary infection in patients hospitalized with COVID-19. And actually, they found out that this rate was pretty low. The bacterial co-infection rate was as low as 3.5%, while the rate of secondary infection was about 14.3%. In another study by Rosen et al, um, they did an analysis and uh, they reported that about 8% of patients that were included in the publication actually had bacterial or fungal co-infection, but our, uh, about 72% of the patients were treated with antibiotics. So we can see like out of those 72%, probably just 8% actually needed the antimicrobials. Some studies from uh, the Chinese, uh, uh, like in some Chinese randomized trials that were evaluating the use of remdesivir and, and uh, Calatra or lopinavir retonavir combination, about 90% of the patients were treated with antibacterials. So how does COVID-19 impacts antimicrobial resistance in future? Uh, so I like to talk about the evolution of AMR. It, we know that uh, AMR are antimicrobial resistant organisms. After emergence, uh, they're transmitted to other patients. And once it transmits to a uh, significant number of patients and those with multiple comorbidities, they cause uh, the infection in, them, in, in, in these patients. And COVID-19 has a tendency to affect all these three components through direct or indirect consequences to pandemic responses. 
Now, government interventions like uh, travel restrictions or non-essential service closures, physical distancing, uh, mask wearing, all these have impact on the supply chain of the antibiotics. It all, uh, particularly the travel restrictions causes supply chain disruptions and healthcare access uh, to these antibiotics. And again, all these uh, have uh, an impact on the antimicrobial resistance. So if we look at this antimicrobial use in the patients with COVID-19, 70% of patients with COVID-19 receive antimicrobials, either inpatient or outpatient. Uh, COVID-19 sometimes presents with non-specific symptoms and that are mistaken for other diseases, which results in an inappropriate prescribing and misdiagnosis. COVID-19 survivors develop structural lung damage that require frequent antibiotics with resultant colonization or infection with resistant organisms. Antimicrobials used for their presumed direct effect on SARS-CoV-2 has led to resistance emergence in uh, co-infecting or co-colonizing pathogens, which is called a bystander selection. An example would be like uh, the use of chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine in some of the countries where there is still uh, chloroquine-sensitive plasmodium falciparum infections around. And um, a lot of uh, excessive use of chloroquine can actually induce uh, uh, resistance in those uh, uh, pathogens. Uh, Again, and then uh, we see that there were uh, certain rapid publication of some of the papers without extensive peer review, and uh, there were, there, those were endorsed by WHO and CDC without evaluations. Use of hydroxychloroquine, chloroquine, and azithromycin for the treatment of COVID-19 use has, uh, has now been stopped in the, in the US, but uh, because of misinformation, lack of other treatment options, severity of the illness and uh, desire to try all the options has led to their continued use in some of the other countries, particularly in those countries where uh, medications like remdesivir or tocilizumab are not available. They are still relying on uh, these, uh, these uh, medications and even ivermectin to see like if they have any, any, any positive effect on these uh, COVID-19 patients. So in this in this first graph, I'd like to talk. Uh, I'd like to show the use of azithromycin. This is taken from the National Healthcare Safety Network. As we can see, that compared to 2019 and 2020, the use of azithromycin, particularly in the months of March and April, went up significantly. Was more than 35 percent as compared to 2019. Now, once we got the the some studies done that showed that. Uh, Actually, the use of azithromycin is not uh, doesn't do any good for the patients. The the number uh, declined steeply, but still, in in uh, the few months, in the few beginning months of the year of 2020, we saw significantly increased use of azithromycin. And uh, this second graph is actually to to show the um, the spectrum of the medications that are used for COVID-19. We can see some antiretrovirals that were used, some anti-inflammatory medication, antibacterial, antiviral uh, medications, even like ivermectin were, are, are even still used in some of the countries. So if we use uh, these, many these many different kind of medications and if there is improper use of all these medications that can, that can again lead to antimicrobial resistance and uh, uh, and future risk of development of uh, these resistant organisms. Um, this here, I've, uh, uh, I'm highlighting the recommendations for the antibiotic use. 
And uh, I've quoted here the guidelines from Surviving Sepsis cam Campaign, uh, World Health Organization and the NIH. So there is no consensus in these uh, guidelines. If we look at the Surviving Sepsis Campaign guidelines, in mechanically ventilated patients with COVID-19 and respiratory failure, they actually suggest the use of empiric antimicrobials and anti antibacterial agents, even though the recommendation is weak. Whereas World Health Organization does not recommend the use of antibiotics uh, or, or antibiotic prophylaxis with, uh, for patients with mild or moderate COVID-19. The use of empiric anti antibiotics um, in uh, severe COVID-19, the uh, WHO has left it for clinical judgment considering the patient host factors and uh, local epidemiologic data. And uh, they also say that those patients uh, like older people residing in long-term care facilities and children younger than five years with moderate COVID-19, uh, actually they, 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 they say that we can still use empiric antibiotic therapy in these patient population. Uh, whereas NIH, on the other hand, is, uh, says that even with severe or critical illness, there is insufficient data to recommend empiric broad-spectrum antimicrobial therapy in the absence of another indication. And even if we do start antimicrobials, uh, we should reassess them daily and try to minimize the adverse consequences of unnecessary antimicrobial therapy. Now, how has uh, COVID-19 affected the antimicrobial availability? So the biggest impact has been on the antimicrobial supply chains. There has been uneven supply uh, in some of the countries, which again raises the concern for uh, resistant organism emergence and uh, from the suboptimal antibiotic use. I'll use two examples like uh, UK uh, relies heavily on the import of antibiotics and because of certain restrictions in, uh, uh, in, in travel and uh, uh, the supply of the antibiotics, uh, there were shortages of antibiotics in UK, while in, on the other hand, countries like India, which actually um, exports these, these antibiotics, had to keep the antibiotics for their own uh, pandemic control measures. So definitely like COVID-19 has a big impact on the antimicrobial supply chains. And again, we can see some of its impact in future uh, on the antimicrobial resistant emergence. Um, some of the countries actually gave uh, uh, authorities to some of the, the companies which did not produce uh, well quality antibiotics and uh, they actually produce some substandard and counterfeit drugs. And again, these suboptimal concentrations can uh, favor the resistance. Uh, some of the antibiotics were not available, which uh, targets specific microbes and uh, some physicians were used to uh, were forced to use uh, broad spectrum antibiotics that again caused uh, can cause antimicrobial resistance in future uh, people who who need uh, continuous antimicrobials for tb treatment if there is short term treatment interruptions that can again lead to treatment failure and development of resistance now, if we talk about COVID-19 uh, uh, on, on the financial uh, aspect, it has definitely caused a reduction in the overall wealth of the nations. Uh, in high-income countries, uh, we know that uh, people need prescriptions to get the antibiotics, and uh, this reduction in the income is associated with poor health uh, because people try to avoid going to the hospitals, and uh, in the absence of getting 
the antibiotics on time, they are at risk of getting respiratory infections. Uh, and in contrary to that, in the lower or the middle income countries where the antimicrobial purchasing is less regulated, again, because of financial hardships, they, avoid, they try to avoid going to the hospital and uh, they got the antimicrobials over the counter, uh, which cause like, which results in shorter course or subtherapeutic antimicrobials, which again can lead to increased mortality. Now, on the other side, if we look at uh, the infection prevention measures taken during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, there are certain papers that argues actually that uh, with increased infection prevention control measures, due to COVID-19, antimicrobial resistance can actually decrease in future. Uh, they say that uh, for multidrug resistant TB, majority cases result from transmission events rather than acquisition of spontaneous resistance from uh, emerging during the treatment. Uh, one other aspect of this story is that uh, with limitations, uh, with uh, increasing physical distancing, uh, there is a risk of transmission of infection within the same household if the if the people are restricted in, in, in the same household with, uh, say, open TB cases or other infections. Uh, next, I'd like to talk about the infection burden in the healthcare setting. So patients with severe COVID-19, they are hospitalized for a prolonged period and uh, they are at risk of uh, acquiring nosocomial infections. Uh, these patients actually receive multiple courses of uh, broad spectrum antibiotics, other like organ support, mechanical ventilation. And again, all of these can increase the risk of hospital acquired infection with uh, resistant microbes. Uh, one of the other factors that increases the risk of uh, nasocomial infection is uh, again that we saw that uh, the shortage of PPEs in the early pandemic time and also uh, shortages of the staff because a lot of the staff, uh, uh, like people from the staff were actually infected with COVID-19 and were unavailable. So again, all these factors uh, increases the risk of uh, nosocomial infections. Now, uh, I'm uh, bringing up these two uh, articles that were published in the Journal of Antimicrobial chemotherapy, they've actually started a series about uh, the pro side and the, the con side of the COVID-19 pandemic on antimicrobial resistance rates. So in this first paper, Cornelius Clancy and Deanna Perl uh, argue that uh, COVID-19 pandemic will result in increased antimicrobial resistance. Uh, they, they are in favor of the theory that broad spectrum antibiotic use uh, is common among hospitalized COVID-19 patients and uh, excess of reported secondary infections suggesting uh, unnecessary prescribing and uh, disruptive direct and indirect effects of COVID-19 uh, on economic systems, governance and public health expenditure will actually fuel the M uh, AMR spread. Whereas on the other side, uh, Peter Collignon and uh, John Briggs say that uh, antimicrobial resistance is affected by many factors and too much of our focus is being on antimicrobial usage. And they, they argue that the major factor that drives the resistance rates globally is the spread of the infection and not the antimicrobial use. Uh, COVID-19 pandemic should lead to improved infection prevention and control practices, uh, both in the healthcare facilities and in the community. 
COVID-19 will also have ongoing and uh, profound effects on local, national, international travel, and all of these factors should lead to decrease in the spread of resistant bacteria. Now, how has uh, COVID-19 affected the, the healthcare system? It has caused uh, clinical care disruptions. Uh, about uh, uh, three quarters of the programs and service deliveries for HIV, TB, and malaria have been disrupted as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, this again causes delay in diagnosis and treatment, and those individuals which actually have the, the resistant organism infection can can actually spread it to the other other people and uh, uh, spread the infections and uh, for diseases that require long treatment like tb and hiv uh, interruptions to treatment and suboptimal adherence can contribute to relapse and again resistance there have been changes to the health seeking behavior as uh, uh, i was talking before that in high income countries prescriptions are needed for antibiotics um, people are trying to avoid going to the hospitals and uh, a short-term reduction in the overall antibiotic use can actually reduce the MR emergence in short term. But if you look at the bigger picture and if you look in long term, then these people who delay the treatment could actually have worse outcomes and it can lead to higher rates of hospitalizations and uh, need for more or different antibiotics. Uh, to counter this reduction in the health-seeking behavior, a novel strategy was adopted to do telemedicine. But again, this has uh, some of the studies have, are coming up that shows that even uh, with telemedicine, there has been a tendency to practice just in case antibiotic prescribing, uh, where uh, patients who like because the physicians cannot actually see the patient in person or examine them, uh, and uh, patients come up with uh, trivial symptoms or uh, some uh, some complaints that doesn't warrant antibiotics are actually prescribed antibiotics for a short course. Uh, vaccination. Uh, so again, COVID-19 has impacted vaccination of uh, uh, vaccine, vaccination coverage uh, throughout the world. Uh, one of the indirect impact uh, will be the surge in vaccine preventable diseases and their associated complications, which again will lead to increased antibiotic use. Uh, so what's the uh, so what is the future of the AMR research and how has uh, COVID-19 impacted that? So antimicrobial research is likely to have slowed substantially in the first half of 2020. Uh, the reason is that uh, most of the staff, including the ID pharmacists, technicians, equipments like PCR machines for diagnostic laboratories, reagents, they were all deployed uh, for COVID-19 research. Uh, so what can be done about this that uh, the researchers should be supported to continue the antimicrobial research work. Uh, the new networks of collaborators formed to tackle the COVID-19 issues should work in future research plans to tackle the problems of antimicrobial resistance. Uh, we need multiple multidisciplinary team strategy uh, to tackle the, the problem of antimicrobial resistance. Um, so research and health system priorities, so what else can be done about this? Uh, diagnostic wise, investment needs to be done in diagnostic logistics, uh, use for de rapid detection of both the causative agent of infection and any associated drug resistance. Uh, 
um, data collection for infectious disease needs to uh, needs to be strengthened. This is particularly important for antimicrobial resistance, which often relies on passive surveillance. Uh, cost for screening for COVID-19 in most settings is uh, is being borne by the government, but uh, screening for the drug-resistant pathogens like CRE uh, is actually uh, paid by the hospital or by the patient themselves. Um, understanding the fund funding model and how it could change the economic impact of uh, antimicrobial resistance uh, can lead to better screening and hence uh, monitoring of the uh, antimicrobial resistant organisms and prevalence. Antimicrobial use, uh, much of the high antimicrobial use in patients with uh, COVID-19 is unavoidable. Uh, more research is needed into better understanding of the risk factors and uh, prevalence of co-infection in patients with COVID-19 uh, to support the reduction of any avoidable antimicrobial prescribing. Health system is strengthening. Uh, COVID-19 has definitely highlighted many weaknesses in our health system. Uh, WHO has called for a broader pandemic response. Uh, this uh, has to uh, like it needs to be ensured uh, that uh, continuity of the health services uh, through regular supply of uh, antimicrobials is 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 maintained. Um, people who need antiretroviral medications, TB medications, uh, it needs to be uh, ensured that these patients receive their medications on time and there is no interruption in their in their uh, in the treatment of these infections. Uh, inequalities, uh, as we saw across the world, inequalities are rising between and within the countries. Uh, COVID-19 has rendered health impacts of these inequalities, and it was quite visible in the tra in, in uh, tragic terms. Uh, need, we need to determine if any existing inequalities lead to synergistic or multiplicative impacts on both the AMR and uh, COVID-19, and work needs to be done to develop and evaluate the mitigation strategies at all levels. Uh, Policy-wise, the pandemic has exposed weaknesses in um, national and international organizations like CDC, WHO. Uh, these public health bodies are key to coordinating the AMR responses uh, and uh, work needs to be done to support these organizations. So I like uh, so what I, I'd like to talk about the takeaway points uh, from this talk, uh, modifying the processes of emergence, transmission, infection burden. The COVID-19 has changed the landscape of uh, antimicrobial resistance whether antimicrobial resistance will be reduced in the face of efforts made to curb uh, COVID-19 or the use of antimicrobials to treat COVID-19 will increase antimicrobial uh, resistant organism prevalence. This is something that we'll know uh, in future, but uh, we should always start working uh, and think about it ahead of time. Um, continued research that measures the responses, uh, measures and response to the crisis of COVID-19 uh, with future systems that support continued antimicrobial stewardship. Uh, though the public health community has been focused on uh, global COVID-19 pandemic, the antimicrobial resistance has not gone. Antimicrobial stewardship activities should be integrated into the pandemic response. 
while the impact of COVID-19 policies on drug-resistant pathogens is still unknown, uh, it is clear that there will be a shifted set of AMR global challenges going forward. Uh, we now need to work as a multidisciplinary community to gather data on these changes and uh, solve the rising challenges collectively. So I'll end my talk with uh, this uh, very famous quote uh, by Sir Alexander Fleming, uh, the thoughtless person playing with penicillin treatment is morally responsible for the death of the man who succumbs to infection with penicillin resistant organism. Uh, these were my references uh, for my today's talk and uh, thank you for your attention and if there are any questions, concerns, thoughts, really appreciate it.